Well, as I've said many times in here, I'm a pretty forgetful person. But there's one thing that I will never forget, and that is the very first time I preached in a church. And now, this was a little while back. I was in seminary at the time. I had never taken a preaching class. I had read books about preaching. I had watched a lot of preachers. I'd heard a lot of sermons in my life. And I found out that there was a church over in Fairburn, Georgia, Campbellton United Methodist Church, that needed a guest preacher one Sunday. So I began preparing all week. I, I got my, my text together. I was writing out my manuscript. I was praying about it. I was a nervous wreck, as you can imagine, because I'd never done this in a proper church setting before other people. And so I prepared all week. I stayed up to like 3 a.m. the night before on that Saturday night. That Sunday, you know, I was kind of rushing to get there. And as I got closer to the church, my GPS said I was about five minutes away. And then all of a sudden, traffic began to slow down basically to a stop. And I was like, God, this is not good. I got to make it to the church on time. This is, you know, my first, my first sermon. So I, I just waited in line in traffic. And it went about one car at a time, you know, a little more, a little more, a little more. And then finally, I got to the intersection right before the church. And I saw why traffic was so backed up. And I have a picture here that I took that day. And the reason why traffic was backed up is because there was about six cars that had been like recently burned up right there at the intersection before the church. And I, I just had to pray, right? I mean, I was just like, God, if people in this church have died, I, I don't have the words to say. I don't, I, I don't know what to do. I can barely preach, I don't know yet. I like, I don't, I'm not gonna have words of comfort, I'm gonna mess things up. I was like, God, I just need you to, to meet with me and be with me in this time. So finally get through the intersection, pull up to the church, and there's one of the older gentlemen of the church there to receive me. And I go out and I say, sir, this is terrible. This is terrible. I, I can't believe this tragedy. I am so, so sorry. And he looks over at all that and he says, what, all that? That's just the set of a new zombie TV show that they're filming. Uh, you might be familiar with it. They were filming the pilot of Walking Dead there at the intersection that day. And, and after that, everything was good, right? Everything went downhill from there. People enjoyed the sermon. But for me, it was a truly unforgettable experience, that very first sermon. And now, I don't know if you've ever noticed in the Bible... But we actually have Jesus' first recorded sermon that's given to us in Luke chapter 4. And, and kind of like my, my first sermon that was unforgettable, this sermon from Jesus is unforgettable as well for a number of reasons. And I want to talk with you about that very first sermon today, which we find in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. This is right after, if you're familiar, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness he has um, passed through the temptations faithfully. The Holy Spirit is empowering him. And then Luke, in Luke chapter 4, writes this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And then he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written on the scroll in Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And now, we're going to pause right there, but one of the reasons why this sermon from Jesus is so unforgettable is the people's immediate reaction to him. And after he reads this passage from Isaiah and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, actually the people, they're they're kind of excited about it. We read in the verses after that they were amazed at his grace-filled words. And they were thinking things like, oh man, look at Joseph's son. This is little Jesus. He's grown up. He's going to be a great man of God. He's going to do great things for us. This is awesome. We love seeing our hometown boy. You know, it's kind of like the reaction I got when I gave my first sermon. You know, people in the church were thrilled because I brought down the average age about 60 years that Sunday. And because my family came, we doubled their attendance in one service. And so it was awesome. And they were like, hey, we want you to come back. You're great. You know, and then we all went to lunch and had a great time. And that's kind of how things probably would have stayed for Jesus, this very first sermon, if he wouldn't have continued on. But after he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he continued. And in verse 24, he said this to them. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian." And now here Jesus is throwing back to some Old Testament stories that these people, they would have been very familiar with because they gathered regularly, as did Jesus, for worship and to open up the scrolls and to read them. And so here Jesus, he, he lets them know these references to these Old Testament stories, stories in which God sent someone, God sent a prophet to meet people's deep needs. And during this time, Israel was in need and all of the other people were in needs in both of these stories. But Jesus, he cites two times in the Old Testament where the prophets of God didn't go first to God's people. Instead, they went to the outsiders. They went to the people who were unclean. They went to the poor. They went to the downtrodden. We see they went to who? To the widow and to the person with leprosy people that the Jewish people often didn't interact with. And so he's telling them here, hey, you know what? I'm a prophet, but my mission is first and foremost to the outsiders, to those people who've been at the margins of society. And all of a sudden, as Jesus is telling them these stories, they begin to cross their arms. They begin to sit up a little bit in church, start clearing their throats, and they're they're not getting a good feeling about all of this. They're not getting a good feeling about all of this because they're thinking, look, we thought you, the hometown boy, was going to come give us what we needed. We thought you were going to come meet our needs. We thought your mission was going to be to us and for us. And here Jesus is revealing to them that, yes, his mission is going to be to them and for them, Israel, but it's also going to be for people who are outside of Israel, people like Gentiles, people who are downcast, people who are oppressed, people who are downtrodden, and they don't like this and so their smiles and their pride quickly change and then we continue in verse 28 all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this and they got up 
drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. And I don't even know how to explain this verse. I'll just read it. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Somehow he made it through them. And he went on his way. And what did he go on his way to do? He went on his way to live out the mission that God had given him, that the Holy Spirit was empowering him to do. And one of the reasons, another reason this sermon from Jesus is so unforgettable isn't just their reaction, but it's because this sermon reveals to us Jesus' mission, which didn't always make everybody happy. After all, they killed him in the end. Let's not forget that. And in this passage, we find Jesus' mission, and it's from Isaiah chapter 61. It wasn't an accident that he read the passage in that scroll that day. And in Isaiah 61, we see the mission that God had given to Jesus Christ, the mission that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so I want to read it for you again. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And guess what we see Jesus doing after he escapes through that crowd and he continues on in his ministry. He does all of these things. He proclaims good news to the poor and he lets them know that in this world, the poor are at the bottom of everything, but in his kingdom, the poor and the humble are actually at the top. Everything is reversed. He proclaims freedom for the prisoners and he gives people freedom. I mean, soon after this, he he finds a man who's been captive to a demon for years. And what does he do? He releases him from that. And then there's a paralyzed man whose friends bring them to Jesus and he releases him from his paralysis so he can walk and he can have new life. But he also says to him, he says, go now, your sins are forgiven. We see in Jesus' ministry, he's forgiving people of their sins. And then he gives sight to the blind. He literally gives sight to blind beggars who are in need, who aren't whole. And he gives people the ability to see God's love for them his love for everybody and he gives freedom to the oppressed he lets every single person know your deepest needs in this world are met in me and then finally he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor because in Jesus Christ the Lord of the universe steps into the story and he brings favor he brings his power he brings his presence everywhere He goes, you see, God sent Jesus into this world on an all-encompassing mission to redeem all that was broken physically and spiritually. And this isn't just some biblical truths for back then that are important to Jesus. This is important for us today because in John chapter 20, after Jesus defeats sin on the cross, after Jesus defeats death, rising up from the grave on the third day, he says to his disciples, peace be with you. Because you have to understand, they were a little scared and nervous when they saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. That, that wasn't something they were exactly expecting. He says, peace be with you. And then in John chapter 20, he says this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And basically there, he's telling his disciples, soon I'm gonna ascend into heaven. I'm gonna be with my heavenly Father And I want your hands to do what my hands did. I want your feet to go where my feet went. 
I want your heart to have compassion for people that my heart had compassion for. I want your message to be my message. I want you to go out and to proclaim good news for all people. And so this first sermon should also be unforgettable for us as the church because the mission of Jesus is the mission of the church. It's not like it's two separate or totally different things. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, now I send you to go and to do all of these things in this world for a world that desperately needs it. That's our mission. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been in this series called One. And the the first week, we talked about what it means to be one with Jesus Christ. And how this is foundational to the Christian life. This is about being a recipient of God's mission first. Of receiving His grace into our life. And we talked about how we are each saved by grace through faith. And so when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we become one with him and we grow like him as we grow as Christians. And so we can think of this as the upward movement of the Christian life. And this is huge. We have to do this, the the upward movement. And then last week, we, we talked about another aspect of the Christian life, another movement, and that is being one with each other. In our divided world, this is harder than ever, but we talked about the importance of being one with each other because when we're one with each other, we're a witness to Jesus Christ in the world. And so we talked about how we need to love one another, how we need to accept one another, how we need to forgive one another, how we need to speak truth to one another, how we need to be one with each other. And so we think about directions. Here, we're thinking about the inward motion of the Christian life. And so we have the, the upward motion. We have the inward motion. That's where a lot of churches stop. A lot of churches stop at these two things. And I'll just tell you this. If a church is only doing these two things, then the church will eventually die. Because the church is missing a key significant component. Another direction that Jesus wants us to go. And that is outward. See, when a church is only focusing on the inward direction. They can have great worship services. People in the church can have great relationships with Jesus Christ, and that's important. And when a church is just focused on the inward direction, you know what? You have awesome chili cook-offs. You love each other. You love the music. You love the sermons. And and you love just coming together. But over time, if that's all you're doing, the church becomes an insular community. And you just start catering to your own needs and you really just become focused on yourselves and you forget the world out there. And so as your church starts to die, the community around you suffers. But actually, in this case, the community around you doesn't suffer because the community around you didn't even know you existed because you weren't engaging the community. But for a church to thrive, for a church to have life, it has to engage in this third movement of the Christian faith and that is moving outward inward upward and outward those are the three movements of the christian faith and the reason why we have to move outward and join jesus in his mission is because the church is one of the few organizations that exist for the sake of people who aren't yet here i want to say that again the church is one of the few organizations that exists for the sake of people who aren't yet here as we just sang we exist for the sake of the world. For the sake 
of the downtrodden, the brokenhearted, the outsider, the people who are in deep need of God's grace that we've experienced. He calls us after we've received it to go out and to share it with other people. And as we do, the church experiences joy and new life. The church experiences literal new life as people join in the community as they experience Jesus Christ and the wholeness that he wants to bring. And the church experiences joy because there is no greater joy than to see God's grace at work in someone, transforming them and their lives from the inside out. Inward, upward, and outward are the three movements as a church that we have to always focus on. But if you're like me, when, when you think of outward, you probably immediately think of, uh, of foreign missions, of going to a, a far-off place and serving other people. And, and it's easy now with technology to see all the needs around the world. It's easy to see all of the needs around our country, and there are so, so many. There are so, so many. But I think sometimes what happens to us as Christians is that we get so focused on all of those things and we get overwhelmed because a lot of them we don't know what to do, we don't, we don't know exactly how to handle them, that in the midst of all of that, we actually forget to look around and see the needs in our own backyard. And we forget that Jesus sends us, first of all, to our neighborhood, to our community. And here Jesus started in Nazareth and I think he calls us with this mission to start right here. And that means asking difficult questions. It means asking questions like, where are the needs around us? Who are the people in need around us? Who are the people that are oppressed in our community? Who are the people that need to experience release from sin, from shame, and from guilt? It means looking at our church and asking the question, who in our community isn't here? And why aren't they here? Why aren't they connected to the body of Christ somewhere? We as a church, we have to look with the eyes of Christ we have to feel with the heart of Christ as we look around us and prepare to join Jesus in his mission. And then after we've looked at those questions, after we begin brainstorming answers to those questions, seeing the needs around us, Jesus calls us as the church to come together as one and to bring our, our spiritual gifts, to bring our financial gifts, to bring the gifts of our presence and the resources and the next works we have. He calls us to bring them all together so that we can go out and join Jesus in his redemptive mission, transforming people's physical lives and their spiritual lives. And recently I came across a community that was doing this really well. And I don't know actually if this group of people are, are Christians or not, but you know what's funny? God often works through people who aren't Christians to help show us Christians things that we need to learn. And so I want to invite you to sit back and to watch this video about a community who began asking those questions about the needs 
around them and how they began to meet them. At the far end of Islington Road in Newton, Massachusetts, lives a little girl near and dear to the neighborhood. Two-year-old Samantha Savitz is deaf, but boy does she love to talk to anyone who knows sign language. Her parents, Raphael and Glenda. Yeah, she's super engaging. She wants to, you know, chat up with anybody. Yeah, her whole personality changes when it's someone who can communicate with her. Likewise, if someone can't, well, that makes Sam just a little sad. Her desire for engagement has been painfully obvious to everyone in the neighborhood. Whenever they see her on a walker in her yard and Sam tries to be neighborly, they find themselves at a frustrating loss for words. I didn't know what to say back. Wouldn't you like to talk to her? You know, basic conversation that one would have with a child. Asking her about her day. And make her feel that she is part of the neighborhood. Just be her friend. Unfortunately, this isn't something you can solve with a casserole. You'd need the whole community to learn sign language, just for a little two-year-old girl. Can't expect neighbors to do that. You can only appreciate them when they do. On their own, Sam's neighbors got together, hired an instructor, and are now fully immersed in an American Sign Language class. The teacher, Reese McGovern, says this is remarkable because a lot of times even the parents of deaf children don't bother to learn sign language. But here, Sam has a full community that's signing and communicating with her and her family, and it is a beautiful story. And he says this level of inclusion will almost certainly guarantee a happier, more well-adjusted Sam, which is why her parents say there aren't words in any language to express their gratitude. It's, yeah, it's... It's really shocking and beautiful. We are so fortunate. In fact, they say they're already seeing a difference in their daughter. You should see her when she comes in at the end of class. The first thing she says to us is, friend, I think your heart would melt just as mine did. Sometimes it feels like America is losing its sense of community. But then you hear about a place like this, where the village it takes to raise a child is alive and well and here to remind us that what makes a good neighborhood is nothing more than good neighbors. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Newton, Massachusetts. They had eyes to see the needs around them, the need that this little girl had for community. Because as we talked about many times, God created us for community, not just with him, but with each other. And so they saw this need that this little girl had and they began to meet that need. And as you saw in the video, it brought her, it brought her joy and it brought her new life. And uh, once again, I want to remind you, we, we have our American Sign Language class tomorrow night. It's a tangible way that you can reach out to help meet needs in our community. But as I saw this video, I mean, I began thinking more about, okay, that was their tangible need in, in their neighborhood, in their community. What are those things in our community? And so one of the things I always think about because of the location of our church is the schools around us. Because we have two different school clusters right here in our own backyard. There are thousands of kids right here. And so, you know, when we think about kids and their needs, one of the things we know is that from our Backpack Buddies program and from Operation Lunchbox, another organization in our community, there are thousands of children here in Henry County 
who don't have great access to food and who often go hungry and struggle to find food in different places. There are kids, many kids in our community living below the poverty line who are struggling. They find themselves trapped sometimes in home situations that they don't have the power to change, even if, if they wish they would. So I began thinking about all of that and the needs, and then I saw, uh, I saw a Methodist church in a few states over that did this crazy thing. They, they contacted the local school system, and they found out how much debt the students owed in the lunchroom, children who were having to charge accounts because of of uh, the government shutdown and economic uncertainty in their families and other things, and they paid off that debt for the kids. And I thought, wow, how awesome is that? So I was like, wow, I wonder how much the debt is around here. So uh, we reached out to Luella Elementary School. Uh, we sent them an email kind of saying, hey, we're right down the road. We saw this story. It kind of inspired us. We're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in our community and it took the counselor a few days to get back with us because I think she probably thought it was a scam, you know, of some kind of like, uh, you know, prince in, in another foreign country offering money. But she eventually responded. And I got her on the phone and uh, she was kind of surprised about it. And I said, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to live out the mission of Jesus here in this community for people in need. And, and so what's the number? How much money would we need to help pay off these outstanding debts these students have. And she said, I'll need to talk with the cafeteria manager. So she went to the cafeteria manager, came back, and she said the manager was, was almost in tears when she heard about this. Because she was like, why would people want to do that? Who would want to do that? Bless these kids in that way. And she gave me the numbers. And I told her, I said, yeah, I think we can come up with that before Easter. Because the people of Harvest Point, we're people who are joining Jesus in his mission. We want to serve the kids in our neighborhood, the kids who have such shame and hardship when they, when they walk through the lunch line and they have to charge once again. They have to carry that burden as children. And so I know, I know you're generous people and um, through our tithes and offerings, we're, we're going to come through with that. This Wednesday night at our Ash Wednesday service, we're going to take up a special collection um, to help support this mission project. And if we have overage, we'll support other mission projects around here in our community and beyond. But I tell all of you that because I want you to begin asking those questions. Who in our community is in need? Where are the needs physically? Where are the needs spiritually? And then we want you to come back to, to me, to our leadership, to this body so that we can come together and we can say, hey, how can we be one in mission and ministry to our community? Here, in this country, and to the ends of the earth. And so I'm excited about what God's gonna do in us and through us in this next season as we seek to live out this mission. And I just wanna, wanna close with this. This morning... We're going to be sharing a Holy Communion once again, which we've been doing each week in this series. And I don't know how many of you have ever been on a long and a difficult mission, but when you're on a difficult mission, one of the things you need is sustenance. You need food. And that's what Holy Communion is for us as Christians. It's spiritual nourishment. It is food. It is God's grace coming to us, empowering us to live out the mission that he has given us so that we won't grow weary in doing good. 
and loving other people. Because the reality is, is that when you start doing these things, not, not everybody is excited. Not everybody will receive you in the same way. But as we receive this morning, we have breads representing all different areas of the world as reminders to us that Jesus calls us to be his hands and feet here in this community, in our country, and to the ends of the earth. So let's pray and ask him to give us that strength that we need for this mission.